So thankful to see everybody who made it out tonight, and I pray that the things that we have to study tonight um, will be beneficial to the congregation here and edifying, and we will be finishing up our study in the book of Colossians tonight, and uh, I'm assuming we'll, we'll probably just move right into Thessalonians after this, so looking forward to that. We're going to be considering verses 14 through 18 of chapter 4 tonight in Colossians. And I want to go ahead and read uh, beginning uh, in verse 12 of chapter 4. And we'll read to the end of the uh, chapter there. It says beginning in verse 12, Epaphras, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. That you, that you may stand perfect and complete and all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you, and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis, Luke, beloved, Luke the beloved physician and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Without barring any mistakes, that reads the verses that we're going to have under consideration tonight. That brings us to the first question, which deals with verse 14. And that question is, at the time of this writing, Demas was no doubt a faithful servant. What happened to him later and why? In verse 14, it said there, uh, it says, uh, um, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So Demas is actually mentioned three times in the New Testament. He's mentioned here in the 14th verse of uh, chapter 4 of Colossians. He's also mentioned in Philemon 1.24, where he was referred to as a fellow worker. And also in 2 Timothy 4 verse 10, where it says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed to Thessalonica. The word forsaken there in 2 Timothy 4.10 is a very strong word, and it actually also means desertion. And uh, you know, Demas, from what from what we know in in Second Timothy, had turned his back on the work of Christ. He had abandoned his the ministry and the responsibilities and his friends. So Demas actually deserted those who were fellow workers of Christ with him, and. Uh, there's no reason given why he uh, loved the present world or, or, or why he left other than loving the present world. There's no reason given to us other than opposed to, um, you know, either he, he loved the present world and, and the direct opposition to that is that he opposed his future eternal life in heaven. You know, the love of the world overtook him. That's all we know. That's all we can assume. Um, and, and honestly, that is reason enough for anyone to leave the ministry of Jesus. And that is the, if we have the love of the world. Uh, 
And um, there's not have to, there doesn't have to be specific details. There doesn't have to be specific moments that lead someone away from loving and following Jesus. You know, we, we, when we kind of break that down into the simplicity of the gospel, gospel, whether to choose Christ or to choose the love of the world, you know, that, that conscious thought that we have in our mind makes decisions a lot easier to make sometimes. When we just break it down into those two categories, we can make a simple decision whether we're going to follow Christ or we're going to follow what the world is desiring us to do. But um, we must also be careful, um, you know, because we can sometimes see from Demas's life, we can, you know, we can be a devoted follower or somebody could be a devoted follower working for Christ, uh, working for the spread of the gospel and going through all the motions, checking the boxes of what a Christian should look like. But in the heart, if the heart is not right, which uh, it seems like Demas's wasn't, um, you know, if the love of the world is greater than the love of Christ, uh, you know, we could turn away from Christ pretty quickly. Um, there's not. There's been some assumptions on why Demas left, other other than what we uh, can read. Um, some believe it was a fear of persecution that he was going to face from uh, being a disciple of Christ. Um, and if we're not fully giving our entire life to God and loving um, Jesus more than things in this world, we can eventually be pulled away with the desires of the world. Uh, I also want to mention uh, Luke here. Luke is mentioned as the beloved physician. And this is, of course, is the same Luke that we know that wrote the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke. So it's the same person here. So Demas was once a faithful servant of Christ, but at some point fell to the love and the desires of the world. Brings us to our next question here, question number two. Who was Nymphus? And what is meant by the phrase, the church that is in his house? And verse 15 says, uh, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. From what we read here, Nymphus was a fellow Christian in Laodicea, as Paul mentioned. Um, this is the only place in the scriptures where Nymphus is mentioned, and, and he is mentioned for something very, very simple. Um, the simplicity... We can, we can serve Christ in so simple ways sometimes. And Nymphus did that here by just allowing the church to assemble in his house, the congregation, the assembled body. Um, there's always more that we can be doing, but uh, Nymphus was mentioned specifically by the Apostle Paul for that simple reason. And that was credited enough, that was uh, enough for Paul to make sure that he was mentioned in the Word of God. That's pretty great. Nymphus was helping the spread of the gospel by simply having the assembly of Christ, the body of Christ, or the general assembly in his house, just like we are doing here tonight and we do on Sundays. The general assembly of the church, of course, is a place that is um, uh, um, the specific place is, is a place that is, that is designated by the members of the church or the, or the male brethren of the church where the assembly is going to meet. Now, that, of course, we, we've talked about it before. That is, the church is not the building. The church is the assembly, the people, the congregation. That is what it is. And um, 
some older translations, this was very interesting to me, some older translations of this verse here give Nymphus a feminine identity. Whether Nymphus was a man or a woman, we don't know. Um, but I honestly think it really didn't matter if Nymphus was a man or a woman. The assembly met where they had a building or where they had a place to meet, whether it be in a woman's house or a man's house. It, it, it doesn't matter. So the fact that people want to hang their hat on Nymphus was a woman, it doesn't hold a lot of weight. It doesn't really matter. So um, it just matters. All that matters is that the assembly or the body of Christ was meeting together in a designated place. That brings us to our next verse. Uh, which is verse 16. And the question is, what was the epistle from Laodicea? And verse 16 says there, Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So what is the epistle from Laodicea? I'm going to read this so I don't mess it up. And there's a couple names in here that I may mispronounce, so I just bear with me here. It says here, several ancient texts purporting to be the missing, quote-unquote, epistle of the Laodiceans have been known to have existed, most of which are now lost. These were generally considered, both at the time and by the modern scholarship, to be attempts to supply a forged copy of a lost document. The exception is a Latin, quote-unquote, epistle of the Laodiceans, which is actually a short compilation of verses from other Pauline epistles, principally Philippians, and on which scholarly opinion is divided as to whether it is, not, it is the lost Mar Marconiite forgery or alternatively an orthodox replacement of the Marconiite text. In either case, it is generally considered a clumsy forgery and an attempt to seek to fill the gap suggested by Colossians 4.16. Some ancient sources, sources, such as Hippolytus and some modern scholars, consider that the epistle from Laodicea was never a lost epistle, but simply Paul reusing one of his other letters, the most common candidate in this contemporary epistle to the Ephesians just as he asks for the copying and forwarding of the letter to the Colossians to Laodicea. And Marconi uh, here is, was a, uh, a, a Gnostic religion believing that God the Father was different deity than God the Creator. So these are uh, people who tried to find something more that was in the written word of God that we have already. And... Um, doing some research, I actually found what is believed to be, quote-unquote, the epistle of Laodicea. And I actually want to read that. And as we read it, I want, to, I want you to, I want you to um, think, and we're going to be reminded, really, uh, of some other scripture that we already know. And when he says, uh, this person that I got this from, basically a clumsy forgery, we'll see why. So I want to read this to you. It's only, I think, 18 verses or so, um, or 19. So let's go ahead and read this quote-unquote epistle from Laodicea. It says there, Paul, an apostle, not from men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, two brethren which are at Laodicea, 
Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I think in every prayer of mine that you may continue and preserve in good works, looking for that which is promised in the day of judgment. Do not be troubled by the vain speeches of anyone who perverts the truth, that they may draw you aside from the truth of the gospel which I have preached. And now may God grant that my converts may attain to a perfect knowledge of the truth of the gospel, be, ben be uh, beneficent and doing good works which accompany salvation. And now my bonds which I suffer in Christ are manifest, in which I rejoice and am glad. For I know that this shall turn my salvation forever, which shall be through your prayer and the supply of the Holy Spirit. Whether I live or die, to me I shall to me, to me to live shall be a life of Christ, to die will be joy. And our God and our Lord will grant us his mercy, that you may have the same love and be like minded. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have heard the coming of the Lord, so think and act reverently. And it shall be to you life eternal. For it is God who is working into you and do all things without sin. And what is best, my beloved, rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ and avoid all filthy lucre. Let all your requests be made known to God and be steady in the doctrine of Christ. And whatever things are sound and true and good report and chaste and just and lovely, these things do. Those things which you have heard and received, think on these things and peace shall be with you. All the saints salute you. Let the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Cause this epistle to be read to the Colossians and the epistle of the Colossians to be read among you. So sometimes you know things are just fake. Sometimes just by reading it, you can understand that things are fake. And the way we know that is by understanding the truth first. Knowing what the word of God says first. And when I read this, the first time I read this, I'm going, man, that does not sound like any kind of thing that Paul would just spit out in those simple short phrases that he did. There's usually a story or a particular group of people that um, specifics that Paul deals with. And when I read this, there was just no there was no depth to uh, uh, what I was reading. And this is not, of course. We want to make sure that we understand that this is not um, the Word of God that is, quote-unquote, the epistle of the Laodiceans. This is some false doctrine, some false attempt to produce what is mentioned here in Colossians 4. So we need to understand it. We need to uh, just know and understand we, we've been given all that we need in the Word of God. We've been told that, and that's all we need. The verse here that we're considering in Colossians is evidence and direction to that inspired word of God. The letter that Paul to the Colossians was not solely for the Colossians alone. It is intended to be read and followed by all congregations of all time throughout the entire world. And once it had been read to the Colossians, then they were to send it on to other congregations in the area just as the letter was in Laodicea, that was to be passed to the Colossians. So whatever letter that is that Paul is talking about, that, that, that Paul told him to get from the Laodiceans, it could be the same thing he is doing here. He's telling the Colossians, once you read this, go ahead and send it over to the Laodiceans so they can read the same thing too. So that, that's kind of believed, and it makes complete sense. 
that if, even if it was the epistle of, of the Ephesians that was sent to Laodicea, the Laodiceans could have had the same directions to send that letter on to uh, the Colossian uh, congregation. So it just proves the fact that all scripture and all letters, all epistles are for every congregation through all time for all of us to read and understand. And it applies to everybody throughout the entire um, life that we are given here. So I hope I made that clear. <laughs> it was pretty difficult for me to go through and, and understand and to try to explain exactly what it was. So I hope I did some justice. And I want to show this map here. It's pretty small on here, but I wanted to show kind of where the three cities that are mentioned here, Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea, they're all very close together when, when you consider it. I'm not sure what the mileage or, or uh, it may be. My guess is maybe 30 to 40, maybe 75 miles uh, radius within each other. So it would have been very easy for them to take one letter, uh, an epistle from Paul, and transfer it over. Once they got done reading it, take it over to the next uh, congregation in another town. Question number four, which deals with verse 17. Who is Archippus, and what is meant by the phrase, take heed to the ministry? And that deals with verse 18. I'm sorry, verse 17. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. So Archippus is mentioned here, and he is also mentioned in uh, uh, Philemon, verse 2, right alongside of Philemon. He is mentioned as a fellow soldier, one who is working for the spread of the gospel. And we can deduce from just those mentions that he was a disciple of Jesus working as a member of the church in Colossae. Now, Catholicism believes that Archippus was actually put in charge of these three congregations within this area. Um, Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea. And this is a place... In Scripture, also where Catholicism has taken assumptions and put them into religious practices. And they have actually made Archippus a saint, St. Archippus. And they actually have a day of the year where it's uh, a day of feasting for St. Archippus. And that is all based on assumptions that they have made. And there is nothing in there, in the Scriptures that we can read, that Archippus was put over uh, charge of three um, uh, three different congregations within a, in a, in a uh, close area. Um, we know that that is a stretch because the Bible simply does not state or support such an idea as that. So when it says, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it, um, Paul was telling the members at Colossae to specifically tell Archippus that exact phrase. And the word ministry here means service, or service to Jesus, or service to spreading the gospel. And if Archippus was a fellow soldier, as mentioned in Philemon, why would Paul direct uh, this kind of phrase to a fellow soldier? So there are multiple thoughts as to why Paul would have said this. There's four reasons why that I found. Number one, Archippus knew the ministry. He was faithful, but maybe needed some encouragement to keep going. Arch Number two, Archippus knew the ministry, was once faithful, but slackened or stopped his ministry. Number three, 
Archippus knew the ministry but did nothing about it. And number four, Archippus did not know his ministry and had to be prompted by Paul to keep going. And in Philemon and the book of Colossians are mostly thought to be written about the same time during Paul's imprisonment in Rome. Um, most even think that it was even the same year he wrote those two epistles and sent them out. So I can't imagine that Paul would write one letter to Philemon praising Archippus and then immediately writing another letter to the church at Colossae uh, telling Archippus to get his act together. If they were both written at the same time, I don't understand why Paul would, Paul would do that. So I think it would be safe for us to say that this, this statement by Paul was to be an encouragement to Archippus, and all of us need that encouragement as well. But if Paul wasn't trying to encourage Archippus to continue in the faith, or to get his act together, or take care of some of these other assumptions that were made, um, I think any of those assumptions would be appropriate as well. So, for example, if Archippus was, or, or knew the ministry, was faithful but needed encouragement, that phrase is appropriate. If Archippus knew the ministry and was once faithful but had slacked or stopped, that phrase is appropriate. If Archippus knew the ministry but nothing about it, that phrase that Paul said is appropriate. Also, if Archippus did not know the ministry and had to be prompted by Paul, that statement is appropriate as well. But I think we can all figure out the fact is that Paul was giving inspired direction to Archippus to take heed to the service which he had received in the Lord. Paul was, I think, encouraging Archippus during this time. I hope I got that right, too. <laughs> There's a lot just in these few verses that I was not expecting. And it's just it's amazing sometimes. So it takes us to verse 18. What is meant by the phrase, the salutation by my hand? Verse 18 says, This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you. Amen. This is basically Paul putting a stamp of approval on his letter to the, to the uh, church at Colossae. Some uh, think that Paul actually had a scribe that would write out the letter and then Paul would review it and basically this is Paul's signature at the end of um, this epistle of Colossae or Colossians. Um, it would affirm or approve the writings and, and saying that this is his own writing. This is the inspired word of God that I am approving to be sent to Colossians. You could think of it as a signature that Paul would place on a document authenticating it to the church in Colossae. He not only uh, did that here, but he also did it in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 16 and 21 and Galatians 6 and 11. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.